I'm here with Dako as always. Dako, how are you feeling, man? Good. I'm alive and well. All right, that's good to hear. I know we have quite a few uh, things to talk about. We'll try and keep it short and sweet and just get right into it. I feel like one of the things people are talking about the most lately has been OpenAI, Mr. Sam Altman. He's fired. He's no longer fired. He joined Microsoft. He's no longer with Microsoft. You want to give us the deets on that? Even, even me following the details on, like, the whole drama unfolded on Twitter, or should I say X? whatever, um, and trying to keep up with what was going on was, you know, topsy-turvy. Um, but like you said, you know, the board kicked him out. We, nobody still knows, like, what made them do that, but the board kicked him out. Um, and then Microsoft, who owns a significant stake in the company, which the company was supposed to be a non-profit, um, we'll get back to that in a second, but they made it a for-profit. Microsoft owns a stake in that. They've created some sort of um, GPT plus or whatever program to monetize. Um, so Microsoft being a signature that says, hey, um, if you're kicking out this guy, we're going to bring him into Microsoft to develop our own in-house AI capabilities. Um, a huge chunk of the staff at OpenAI then say if the board maintains their decision to kick him out, they're all going to quit, right? They threaten to quit. So the board puts in an interim CEO, someone who they think they'll like, the staff says, no, they want Sam back. Um, Microsoft says, if you want to work with Sam, who we've just brought in, you can come to Microsoft. Essentially, in which, which would have killed the entire company, right? Um, but of course, if that happens, OpenAI, the company ceases to exist. Um, so they do some back and forth, back and forth. I'm not clear of the details, but then the board says, okay, the people that wanted, uh, or it seems maybe like Microsoft says, says the board that those people that wanted Sam Altman out have to get out of the board. Altman has to come back in, and then all the staff will stay, you know, at um, at OpenAI. It was it was pretty dramatic. It's the kind of thing I actually want to see, like a documentary or a dramatization of, because just reading you know, everything go on at that. You know, people are like posting things like so. There also of those tweets were like somewhat cryptic. Um, some people were saying, "Oh, that OpenAI has reached." you know, um, AGI, Artificial General Intelligence, is supposed to be this yeah, AI movement where, yeah, the North Star, that's what I meant, where, like, the consciousness of the artificial mm-hmm. intelligence, not consciousness, but, like, the artificial intelligence is, like, so smart, it can rival human intelligence, can teach itself things, blah, 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 and it'll be smarter than all of us combined, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, people are like, ah, they are pushing closer and closer to that, and if a computer can do that, or if a network can do that, it becomes dangerous, blah, 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 and all that. And it's like, ah. And so the first thing I'm thinking is, like, this thing needs, whatever is going on, if this thing is feeding off, like, collective human, you know, knowledge, intelligence, past, present, and the models are being trained every day on everything that gets put in, every blog post, every tweet every you know every public thing that you put out there is being trained on that um then it's such a thing needs to be completely open source the source code needs to be visible to anyone who can make sense of it i mean it doesn't have to be like forkable but it should be visible so we know what's going on under the hood um it should have a kill switch so that if even though as as sci-fi as it sounds if this thing you know becomes somewhat independent, you're able to pull the plug and say, well, at least you can't give yourself electricity or you can't give yourself compute power, you know. Um, and it needs to be the kind of thing that other companies or applications can plug into. But I think they did a recent um, presentation where people could spin off AI apps off of GPT. Um, I don't know if that had anything to do with like this recent drama, but it being so close 
to recent events um, might make one speculate that as well. It, it would, it would actually be interesting to watch and see everything unfold. What I'm now curious about is less about like the company structure and more about what would be of you know their products like GPT for um, DALI and all the other things they're doing there um, and how other companies will also respond with um, their own AI platforms or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, all, all well said. I, I found the whole drama happening all too fast for me as well. And I know someone likened it initially to like Steve Jobs, you know, getting fired from Apple and then coming back after 11 years, but for the TikTok generation, because it happened in five days. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you think, if you, if you, if you contrast it, that's exactly what it is, right? It happens so quickly. Like, you know what? You're fired. You know what? Actually, you're rehired. Um, and one, one other peculiar thing I noticed throughout this ordeal is how Microsoft stock apparently went to an all-time high when they announced that Sam Altman was joining them. And that got I me thinking. Looking at stock. I didn't, I honestly did not myself. However, this, I don't know how, maybe it was a news notification. It's just like, I just saw something that talked, you know, alluded to the stock price. And I just, you know, skimmed the article. And I'm like thinking, huh, okay. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, this is a conspiracy theory, but hey, you never know. Uh, but that's just hilarious uh, to, to see that the, the stock price would be significantly affected by the announcement of him joining Microsoft, who have not had any um, conference in the past three quarters, I think, at least without mentioning AI, at least 50 times, you know, on the floor. <laughs> it's all AI, it's all co-pilot, it's well, all it, Bing. It does make sense that the stock price will skyrocket if they are announcing, like, the founder and, I mean, he's a technical founder as well founder of the biggest AI company, you know, yeah, leaving that company and joining Microsoft, right? And everybody's like, yeah, it's the frontier thing. So it makes sense for people to like rush in and buy the stock. So it doesn't even need to be like insider trading, even though there could have been someone that, but like just seeing how everything went down, it's very possible for, you know, people to put in all their aftermarket bids and all that, just, and then you know, things like that will now shoots the stock price to move. Yeah, let's, let's peel from one Sam to the other, right? So we know about Mr. Bankman Freed and all the Ponzi and all the scams he committed and how, how much in trouble he is right now, even being refused bail. Then barely a few weeks after we're hearing about this sentencing, now finance issues come out of nowhere. Um, you follow the story, you heard a bit about it, you've seen some information on it about how uh, CZ um, on Twitter. I forget his actual name, but I know everybody calls him CZ. Um, he, yeah, right. he, yeah, he um, basically admitted guilt for uh, overlooking some transactions uh, using their exchange mm. and their platform. And this significantly even put, you know, cryptocurrency even in more negative light, like he didn't have enough in the past couple of months. So somebody who, who likes DeFi, who trusts the future of decentralization, who actively um, uh, makes use of cryptocurrency. What do you think this is doing to the reputation of the platform? And how do you think uh, people who are listening, who are maybe wary should, uh, should take this news? How should people approach this? Um, well, first, I, I'm not like, an, I wouldn't describe myself as an active user of I just see like the value in it being like the most efficient way to transfer value, um, money value um, across borders and internationally. Yeah. Now for finance and um, FTX, which was SBF's exchange, um, the FTX thing went down. A lot of things that came to light was that he was kind of like um, a government establishment, or don't let me say, don't let me just say government. He was kind of like an establishment baby, right? Like he was a, a darling to, you know, the corporate organizations, the news media, the government, because they do not, you know, the party in power and all that. So even when the, 
even when like you know the ball dropped for his own um criminal activity they were still trying to like you know be lenient with it but of course a lot of it was so exposed that they couldn't like pretty much just get away with giving him smack on the wrist so he had to face the full um extent of the law now on the flip side of that was that was um cz of finance was one of the early people to cast ftx so this sequence of events seems like like one could could paint it as some sort of you know kickback or retaliation against cz now that's not to absolve him of any guilt but there's no financial institution anywhere that hasn't had illicit activity pass through their pipes right and with crypto, where the premise is supposed to be, you know, freedom of transaction, permissionless transactions, anonymous transactions, um, more so than traditional, you know, financial institutions, there's definitely going to be, you know, bad actors passing through the pipes. Um, it's one thing, and most financial institutions, they have, they would either do a don't look, if you don't look, you don't see. If you don't ask, you can't tell, you know, kind of thing. Um, and then there are some things that they will go after and they'll say, ah, no, 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 this one is, this one is too much. Let's, you know, stop it. Um, I think Binance does their normal um, KYC, AML stuff. So uh, him looking away, he has to take responsibility for that. But to paint that as an indictment of, like, their system, I, I think that was a person problem more than a system problem or an infrastructure problem. Um, because remember that cryptocurrencies are peer-to-peer, at least most of them. So even if someone didn't go through an exchange, bad actors could still transfer value from wallet directly to wallet. Um, unfortunately, you know, these events happening like back-to-back, um, FTX and SBF and then Binance and CZ, um, it's going to give people in government positions like the um, EU Central Bank, you know, the US Fed, people who already have like an anti-cryptocurrency bias. It's going to give them something to lean on. And to the average person who's uninformed, they're just going to like bucket it all together. Oh, look at crypto is bad. We have two examples yeah. in the last how many years. So if the government comes and tells them, and let's not talk about NFTs. Ah, uh, <laughs> if the government now comes and tells them the average person that oh, crypto is bad, and you have like you gotta tell me twice, significantly <laughs> more people who are who don't understand this than those who yeah. do. It's going to basically, you know, um, put a huge damper on on the innovation that's happening in that space. And the innovation is happening on two fronts, happening both on the technology front and and the financial front, right? Um, In fact, like we we often say fintech, 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 and when we hear fintech, think think of things like PayPal, Cash App, whatever. But like the cryptocurrencies are one of it's like the frontier thing that is at that intersection of finance and technology. she, she made a quote where she said, if the participants in the crypto um, markets or whatever want to benefit from the US market, that then they need to come and comply by US rules and blah, blah. And she, she's right. But on the other side, too, if the United States um, wants to benefit from cutting edge technology, and finance, they too need to like get their understanding up and change this. Because if you go if you go into a situation with a with a bias, with a negative bias, they are going to see all the negative stuff, right? So they need to like I mean and I mean I I don't to be honest I don't have a lot of confidence in some of those people. They are much older. They are used to the traditional finance way of doing things. There's an incentive for them to continue doing things those ways, issuing debts and all that and all that. So yeah. by the time you try to tell them that hey, this is a solution to that problem, and I think a lot of the posturing on the crypto side is 
also like adversarial. You know, you hear a lot of things like, oh, by the time our cryptocurrency blows or by the time Bitcoin reaches one dollar, it's going to tear down the Fed and all that. Like the people you hear, you shouldn't be putting out that type of messaging because they're going to come at you with like the power of the law, right? right? You should try to appeal to, yes, I know that, you know, there might be some conflict of interest, but you should try to appeal to, at least while the industry is still growing and nascent. Yeah, you know, before you get to some critical mass, you should try to at least not step on their toes too much. But uh, these things are there, those yeah. biases are there. Um, CZ has stepped down, um, Binance has paid the fine. I think it's a fine they can afford. I mean, they'll feel this thing, but um, I think they'll be fine. Um, I think people's funds who have money in Binance, I think they'll, they'll be fine. Um, I think, you know, maybe the markets might have a dip because of that initial knee-jerk reaction, fear and whatnot. But I think everything will be fine last last. Yeah, I, speaking of the dip, there's been quite a few, um, a good amount of withdrawals uh, going around. Uh, millions of people have been withdrawing their, you know, their assets uh, as quickly as they can before it loses even more value. I know you mentioned earlier about the industry being, you know, nascent and growing. And I want to talk about one company that seems kind of like stuck or is even significantly receding more than is growing and that's clubhouse i remember we uh when clubhouse mm. launched during the pandemic this was all the rave you know you and i found ourselves on there we joined rooms we had conversations yep. and all of a sudden it seems like crickets there's nothing there's nobody on there um even people i know who used to post regularly you see the timeline the last time they posted has been like you know two months ago three months ago and have you had any luck with Clubhouse recently? Because I know that I, I just reinstalled it recently because I formatted my phone and I'm like going to a fresh start. And it was just too quiet for me. I see the adding features. I used it a little bit, but I didn't play around with the features because I didn't want to post something just for the sake of posting, right? Um, I don't know what situation these founders have found themselves since they came out with something that was really innovative at the start and has since become a feature in other platforms, right? The Clubhouse... Yeah. Uh, entire, uh, you know, appeal is now a huddle in Slack. You know, it's now, I mean, sure, Twitter has always had the idea even before Clubhouse launched because they've had it in beta for a few, uh, for, for a good amount of time based on what I found out. But, you know, in, in, in um, I forget what it's called on X, I guess it's X Twitter, but it's a spaces. spaces, that's what it is. And then uh, what else? Literally everyone has like some kind of audio you know, social, audio-based social media or like conversational social media. I wonder what the future holds for uh, for Clubhouse. Um, even Spotify tried to do one. They acquired Green one Room. Now, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but even that one didn't take off. To be honest, like there isn't. And then there's there's this other one called um, Air Chat by Naval Ravikant. But to be honest, um, that space for, you know, live audio interaction, you know, has basically been consumed by Twitter spaces. Um, I think you mean X spaces. Well, that'll be your job. You have, you'll be the one reminding me that that's not X. I'm so used to calling it Twitter. Um, but I think, like, after Twitter launched theirs, and then a large chunk of their users went over to Twitter spaces and then a large chunk of people who would have gotten on Clubhouse basically just bypassed that, you know, new um, mean, means of interaction and basically just started to experience it on, on Twitter. Um, it basically just like crashed their user base. Um, and I don't know, they couldn't come up with anything. So it seems like they tried to pivot. Um, there, was a, there was a couple of rooms that I was, I used to listen in on, and there was a couple of rooms I used to participate in. One in particular was one where we used to just like geek out about um, um, like pop culture stuff, Marvel movies, DC movies, um, you know, and stuff like that. And two things happened. One was that there was a time when Marvel wasn't even releasing you know, stuff in a while, hadn't released stuff yeah. in a while. So we have a reason to go there. And then all the stuff that was happening 
with Clubhouse itself. So by the time I came back on the platform to, to even look at what was going on, I didn't find anything. Like everything was gone. I didn't know where anything was. All the rooms that I didn't bookmark to listen to after the fact, all gone. Um, previous chats with other people, all gone. Everything gone. I was just saying, in fact, I thought it was broken, you know, but apparently they've tried to like shift things around, move things around. Um, they've tried to do things like um, recorded audio as opposed to live, yeah. combine it. And to be honest, it looks like a completely different or new app. So like when you're designing an app, there's this thing where, especially an app that requires user-generated content, right? There's this thing where you have to account for, um, what's it called again? For lack of a better word, empty space. Mm -hmm. Because there are no users on the app to populate it. But at the same time, you need to give the few people that are there something to look at or something to do, which is what um, uh, Clubhouse has basically reverted to. And which is a shame because this is an app that, you know, had a very active and driving user base at some point. Um, I, I, I don't know what the future holds for them. If I'm being realistic, it doesn't look very bright. I mean, I, just before we got on the call, I looked at the app again, and I mean, there wasn't anything motivating me to even do anything on the app or even look look much further than I had. Yeah. Um, but in the in the spirit of you know, both the good times when <laughs> that I enjoyed using it, and in the spirit of fair competition, where it's not just one company giving you know offering this um, interactive live audio thing. Um, I hope they come out of whatever funk they're in now and they're able to come up with something that would get us back on their, on their app and on their platform. Yeah, I'm kind of rooting for them too. I, I know they've tried to also integrate some level of AI, especially, it might seem really basic, but I think the captioning and stuff is all still artificial intelligence to know the generation, but... Uh, no. um, now, so. now, like, I've gone to the point where anytime a company or a product adds, says AI or adds AI features, I'm rolling my eyes. There are a bunch of things that have existed before that are now just being rebranded as AI. Granted, uh, to give them credit, I don't think I've seen any ad or poster that says, hey, introducing this new AI feature. I'm just saying, I think they yeah. keep like adding it just to make people, um, you know, just keep, keep them interested, you know, like, hey, so this, I can do this, I can do that, you know, whatever. Um, let's switch it up from, from a company with like very bleak, sadly bleak fortunes to one that's already a leader in its space and that's YouTube. Uh, YouTube has been trying for the longest time because YouTube basically competes with literally every single social media network, right? YouTube's job is to use the algorithm to keep recommending the next video and the next video and the next video to you so they can serve you ads and make money. Now, yep. a lot of people wised up and started using ad blockers, people like myself. So instead of watching YouTube on the TV, which I rarely do, um, I watch it on my computer in a contained browser and I just use an ad blocker. And recently YouTube started, you know, adding pop-ups that tell you, hey, ad blockers are not allowed on YouTube. You know, it has a little time right there. It goes off after like, I think 10 seconds or 15 seconds. They're like, it's not allowed on YouTube. So you got to support creators or whatever. And then it goes off and then you can play a video. And what YouTube thought would happen was not exactly what happened. So I think YouTube thought maybe it could like, you know, maybe, I mean, sure, I know one person that got shamed into actually pay for YouTube premium. <laughs> But I think uh, I think the the ad blocker community just went ham. Like now, I don't see those pop-ups anymore. And it's still there, but like the ad blocker community figured out how to like just bypass the stuff. And every attempt YouTube has made to block your video from showing because they want to, you know, encourage you to know you're an ad blocker and like pay for premium. Just you know, every time like these guys just figure out a way around it. Have you been seeing those those blockers yourself? Although those pop so up I anymore. haven't seen, I haven't um, seen any of those uh, YouTube's, you know, blockers to block ad blockers. Um, <laughs> but I so I mean every other place I watch YouTube on, whenever I, whether I watch it on my TV, phone, tablet, I would see 
you know, ads. And then, of course, on the web, I'm using ad blocker. In fact, I'm not, I'm not even sure if I'm using a specific YouTube ad blocker. I'm using like some sort of general ad blocker. Which and you, includes... and you, you're in, you're in Firefox on your browser, right? Not Chrome. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm solely Firefox. <laughs> I don't, I don't mess with Chrome. Um, so uh, I do see ads when I'm on the web as well. Um, now, of course, on one hand, you can carry that sentiment of, oh yeah, trying to support creators. Yeah, um, that's that's the same type of tactic that Facebook did when they did that their newspaper ad where they said, oh, Apple blocking their ads is not supporting creators, blah blah. But we all know that the truth is that you as a company is your own incentive you are looking out for. Yeah. So the other thing is, um, you see, with, with the, the current model for monetization on, on the internet, right, this whole web 2.0 thing is advertising. And there's only so much feel you can do with like targeted relevant advertising that these companies now have to have, I, I believe these companies have basically reached limits, but even, they haven't reached the limits, but they've done, they've done it so much and they've made so much money from it that for them to go further, for them to grow, they have to now start like making certain compromises. So the ad quality has, has gone down because they need more quantity. So you see YouTube giving you like two, you know, unskippable ads, right? Back to back. For things that are not even relevant. Now, if you, even if you say, okay, you know what? I can tolerate ads that are relevant to me. It's like, how much more info do you want to give these platforms about your personal life for them to be able to serve you <clears throat> relevant ads? Because in my own opinion, the relevancy of the ads that they serve, and this is not just YouTube, but you know, across platforms, relative to how much I expect these platforms to know about me. They are explicitly saying, oh, this is my date of birth, this is my state of origin, this is my blood type, this is my mother's maiden name, you know, all those type of like super personal details. Um, to me, it's still, it's still quite disappointing. So I, as a YouTube watcher, I have every incentive to be very dismissive of whatever ads they serve me. Some of them are very repetitive. Like there's some ads that you see them once and you know, I never want to buy this thing, right? <laughs> and yeah, like I never want to patronize this product. I never want to click this link. So if you think of like the millions of ad fill that you, that you could get, and then you see that one ad that you never want to see again, and that ad comes up a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time, of course, yeah, like block all the ads, block the ads. <laughs> Just block please. everything, right? Just block everything. And yeah. ads are even significantly more infuriating on platforms that are already paid. And a very good example, I wonder why more people aren't talking about this, but I know there's probably just not many people using this, but Apple News Plus is like, you know, you get newspapers, you get magazines, you get access to like a ton of content. And so you still see companies like PC World have an article that's just like for plus subscribers only because it has a sign that says News Plus. And then you launch it and there's like half page of ads riddled all over the entire thing inside of News Plus. Now, what I found is they definitely find a way to bypass whatever restriction Apple has to serve ads or whatever. And Apple, the ads don't actually come through Apple. It comes through um, some kind of routed uh service. I don't know how they do it, but I do know for sure that if Apple so takes this seriously, they can yeah, down it. So that, that, that means it's a dynamic ad, right? Yeah. So, um, because if it's, if it's a dynamic ad and they're saving that ad and they're bypassing, because I'm, I'm guessing Apple's rules for publishers on News Plus is no ads, right? Very likely. So it's one of two things. The one way to buy, I don't know, like the, there's probably like a technical way to bypass it with a dynamic ad. But if it's not a dynamic ad, then you can basically put an ad in the content, right? Like you can make it, you can basically sell a page. Like if you buy a magazine subscription, for instance, from a, you know, off the shelf from a library or bookstore or whatever, right? You paid for that magazine, but that yeah. magazine still had ads inside. Mm -hmm. But those ads, 
were, you know, went in when the magazine was being published and edited and all that. So if it's right. static ad, I can even understand that. But if it's dynamic ads, like the kind of thing where it's using up your data, you have to refresh, blah, blah, you can't dismiss it, all that, or it's interrupting the content that you're supposed to be reading, then right. I have a problem with that. And Apple needs to crack, it, crack down on it. They really need to. Um, and one thing they've been cracking down on lately is, I mean, obviously against their will, thanks to the European Union, they've been very, very accepting of more, uh, you know, ubiquitous standards. We saw the USB-C on the iPhone 15. And now the news yep. that RCS is coming to iOS. I guess that was, I guess that was exciting news for you, right? Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say exciting, but it was. Because <laughs> if anybody who championed RCS on iOS, bruh, it was you. <laughs> so to me, I just thought, I just thought to myself, like, this is an open standard. It um, reduces the costs of sending messages has better encryption, has better features. Um, has better encryption you use... when you message Android, right? Is, is there a way to measure if it has better encryption than iMessage end-to-end encryption? Oh, so the thing is, I mean, everybody can say they have encryption. And then that depends on, oh, okay, what, how are you doing your encryption? Mm-hmm. How secure is your encryption? How hackable is your encryption? So who can make the claim that the the iMessage encryption, right? Like for instance, there's Telegram, there's Signal, mm-hmm. right? There's Wire. These are also messaging apps that claim, that try to advertise themselves as having secure encryption. So Apple can also make the claim that, hey, iMessage has better encryption than RCS, which is an open standard. So for me, the encryption debate was not really it. For me, the debate was, if you are, is basically just use standards don't try to um, in fact if it was up to me what should have been is that there should have been some sort of standard flat open instant messaging standard which which there is xmpp um but then everybody just wanted to make something proprietary because you can own the customer you can monetize that data blah 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 and what should then have, like if you think about how email is, I'm at pop three. It's each yeah. client, everybody can make their own clients, everybody can add features on top of their own clients, and then the customer gets to choose what they want to do. And someone who's on Gmail and someone who's on, you know, um, AOL, they yeah. can still message each other with the basic features, right? And if there are any features that are unique to any platform, then people who are on those platforms can share those features together. So it should have been the same way with instant messaging. It should have been a standard. Everybody can build on top of that standard, whether it's iMessage, whether it's Google Messages, whatever. And with the base level of features, oh yes, I can send you a text, I can send you an image, I can, you know, um, do a reaction. You can see typing indicator, you can see read receipts, those basic things. Let that be available to everybody, whether you're Apple, yeah. whether you're Google, whether you're whoever. Um, it seems, kind of seems like a win-win I mean, too. Especially for yeah, Apple, it feels like a win-win because that, and yeah. then um, RCS now like reels are back in, but it seems like Apple did it grudgingly. Oh yeah, they did it, and I, I figured that they had a lot of conversations in-house and saw that there's a very, very good chance that this does, does not affect iPhone sales in any way because they're gonna keep their bubbles blue, right? So if you're yeah, texting yeah. RCS and it's Android, it's still going to be green. The only difference now is you could get that indicator, you get the encryption. Now you can actually send those video files that don't end up looking like you shot it on a Nokia flip phone, right? Yeah. So you can yes. send you can send media files across and everything looks crispy. So for Apple, they must have been like, you know what? Let's just let them do it. Like you know, we'll st- and I'm sure you bet there's still going to be ads coming out in the future. But how I message is still your best option even though they're moving oh, to sure RCS. So they're going to pull it. Yeah, they're going to let you know that, hey, I message you see where it's at, you know, that fancy padlock they put everywhere. And they're going to like, you know, mm-hmm. RCS, all good. But if you want the real deal, come to iMessage. Um, I wonder how it's going to be, though. Like, in, I, I would love to see market numbers um, going forward. Obviously, it's going to be very difficult to compare, right? Because iPhone sales have not been what they used to be, uh, especially in the yep. past three, three quarters. But I'm curious to see if there's going to be any correlation, um, you know, in those numbers between adoption of RCS and uh, 
and uh, the next generation iPhone. Uh, I think it's a good time. Speaking of numbers, let's pivot to this Lego State budget drama. I feel like you and I were talking about it earlier because I was really unaware about it. And can you give us like a brief summary of what exactly happened there? <laughs> um, so every every state has the way states in Nigeria operate is very opaque, especially with their finances. Um, and they all go to Abuja every month for federal allocation, and then they just budget it, the budget gets stamped, and then they spend the money as they wish. The average person is completely unaware as to how much money enters the state coffers and how that money gets spent. However, there is a a, would I say legal or civic obligation to publish those numbers? But because they are publishing those numbers and no one ever really looked, right? Like companies like, uh, or I'm saying organizations like Tracker and Budget used to do that, but not many people have the time or patience to look at it. So, Osha Dohati, um, who ran for Lagos State Governor last year, um, looked at those numbers and basically itemized all of the bogus items and like left comments like line by line you know and then we saw like a bunch of bogus things for ridiculous amounts like liquid fragrance uh, fans <laughs> and torch lights um empowerment program for the first lady or something something like just a bunch of ridiculous stuff running into like the tens if not hundreds of millions of naira and I mean, the entire country is in a financial deficit. People personal, like people's personal finances are really in a crunch because there's high inflation cost. So when you see your government spending money like that, and you see how like funds are being misappropriated, it's just infuriating, completely infuriating. Um, and the, the stupid thing they did was that, hey, you were caught with your pants down. You were caught very handed. Um, first of all, oh no say, okay, you know what, this is how we've been doing budgets before. And people have been getting away with padding budget. You can even, you know, there's a way, there's a way people, um, like especially like authority figures, there's a way when they get caught with their pants down and they don't want to like look like the bad guy because it's also their responsibility to fix the situation. There's a way they depersonalize the issue where they say, instead of saying, oh, this is what I did, they'll say, oh, this is what has been done. You know, like there's that's the man. Right. If you were if you were smart with it, right? And they did said or oh, something like this is how projects were done in the past, and now that it has been brought to light, we're going to blah 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 to put it an end to budget padding, blah blah blah. We have said okay, at least you are yeah, you are a bit self-aware enough to know that this is wrong and needs to be stopped. Right. But what did they do? They took it down, edited some of the numbers, and then re-uploaded it. And then the studio, online studios now came to come <laughs> Like, yeah, and online studios now came to come and be defending. I'm like, ah, the same thing with the whole yacht thing from the federal, from the federal government as well. Yep. You know, they were claiming, oh, yeah, it was for the Navy. Like, all sorts of ridiculous excuses. What does the Navy need, need a yacht for? A yacht is like a military vehicle. Um, said, oh, it was included in the previous budget. Like, all these stupid, stupid excuses. We all know that you guys spend money anyhow, and you're running us into debt, you're running us into deficit. Our, our GDP can't support our debt. Stop the nonsense. Like, plug the hole. Stop it. Yeah. You can't tell, you can't remove both of the and tell people that they need to adjust, and you are still spending money that poorly. Like, it's, it's infuriating, it's disgusting to see. Um, it's beyond the level of me seeing these actions as greedy or you know negligent. It's to me, it's malfeasance, it's malvolence, it's just pure evil. You can't see the way people are struggling and suffering and spending money like that. It's, it's you just you don't have a conscience. So these guys, I mean, I hope that this level of scrutiny continues. I hope that you know members of the public continue to put fire to their asses. Um, uh, and I hope that they do better. I, I really hope that they do. I hope that this level of scrutiny forces them to do better. And I hope that it puts their, you know, because we have, um, the modern democracy has a very poor feedback loop where the citizen only has power every four years. And even that four years, it can be manipulated, it can be stolen from you. So 
something like this, I hope like more people are aware, more people are putting more fire to their asses, and that it, it gives them some sort of, makes them sit up and know that, okay, you know what? If I mess up in my year one or if I mess up in my year two, it can affect me when I come back for it. It can affect my party, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Because that's what they care about. So um, let's, let's hope for the better. Uh, yeah. it, was, it, was good, it was good. It was a good thing to, to bring to light. Even though a lot of people like, had a vague idea that these things were happening before, but at least yeah. now we're seeing it in, in most of its specific detail. I agree with you. And I really hope that, because on the one hand, one reason that we know about this is kind of because it's Lagos and this is a thing. So I feel like mm-hmm. I hope, just like with you and, and all the many hopes you just had, that other states can adopt it. You know, we want to see other states follow this kind of level of transparency so to, so the public can speak up about it and and ask more uh, more questions. Let's pivot to our last couple of topics. They're very tech related. Um, this we're going to circle back to Apple uh, very briefly. M3 Max, right? So I feel like just like me, you still run an Intel based Mac computer, right? Yep. Yeah, mine is a 2019. Yeah. Mine is 2017. Oh, yeah, you're, you're due. You're due. Uh, so I, I have a 2019 16-inch <laughs> MacBook Pro, and it, for the most part, gets the job done. But thankfully, I also have a, 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 a rigged-out desktop PC, Windows-based, that I kind of use for, like, heavy rendering or whatever. Um, okay. But the Mac is, like, my daily driver because I have a lot of tools that I use on there as well. And so I know for sure that I'm going to be upgrading. I don't know when. But in the near future, I'm going to go to uh, Apple Silicon. And the M3 announcement, we're not going to talk about how it was shot on the iPhone 15 uh, Pro with the you know the free Blackmagic software. It's free, literally free for everyone on the App Store. But the chip in itself and the performance comparison between the M3 and let's say like the M1 and M2 versus someone just coming directly from, from Intel. What has inspired you the most about this M3 Max, and when are you buying your M3 Ultra? <laughs> <laughs> well, I found me an M3 Ultra, yes, but I mean, I guess it's in the world. It's in the um, So it's funny because this is one of like the fastest jumps because I mean, the M2 MacBook Pros came out in January this year, and this is November, and they already released M3 MacBook Pros. Um, so one thing, good things they did was that they got rid of the previous form factor for the um, MacBook Pro. So the base one now comes out um, with just a base M3 with eight gigs of RAM and uh, five six or five one two, um, which is like very good with all the other upgrades, the body, the casing, the screen. The screen is you know much improved. Um, but for someone who has like an M1 or an M2, I don't think they will need to upgrade. Um, those those chips are very very performant, especially for most use cases, right? Even even for like things like video editing, design, you know, photo editing, all all things like that, creative work, all that. Um, yeah, yeah, fine, with an M1 and M2. Uh, the, the, those of us coming from Intel, we're going to notice a significant jump. The only thing I would recommend is, now, if you want to like, save a bit of money, you can buy like an older M1 or maybe a refurbished M1 or a second, you know, a fairly used M1 or M2. Um, but knowing that you have limited software updates, right? Because mine is, Mine doesn't get Sonoma, right? And um, so if, I would just say, like, get the most recent thing, the most recent, most powerful computer you can afford. If you're coming from the M, M, from the Intel, sorry, obviously just get the most recent, most powerful thing, which would be the M3. If you're on an M1 or an M2, you probably don't need, probably don't need, um, you know, the M3. Unless you're, like, pushing the limit of what, those ones can do, maybe like 3G rendering. They were shouting about ray tracing during the presentation. Um, I still don't get hype about ray tracing. And I started doing 3D modeling. So um, I knew it has to do with like light reflections and all that. There was also a lot of noise about ray tracing, you know, during the PS5 announcement. And I was like, this doesn't 
like I'm not going to say I enjoy a game more because mm. it has ray tracing, right? So you can't like the way they're overselling it. anyway. Um, but yeah, hardware uh, acceleration. Yes, um, and then the whole dynamic use of VRAM and all that. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to see where like the computers have gotten so good that even and again like them making a jump in um generations within the same year is is a testament to how you know the work rate of their chip team over yep. there um I, I, I look forward to getting an m1 or an, an m series um laptop to experience that performance boost that everyone shouts about yeah um and it'll probably like make me do more 3D work, you know, more enthusiastically. Same, same. I played around with a M1 Pro um, on a Mac Studio, and I was actually like really impressed with how fast it was. But then it's a Mac Studio, right? It's designed to do what I was using it for video editing and some, you know, photo editing as well. Um, but yeah, uh, last topic we're going to talk about today is uh, some. I know you, you say you roll your eyes when people say AI, AI attached to products, but I feel like the human AI pin might be an exception, unless, of course, it makes you uh, cringe as well. Uh, this um, thing you clip on your shirt and then you wear about, you could project some of the light on your hands or some of the, you know, this it doesn't have a screen per se, but you could project what you want to see, like a, it basically turns you into like a project, project a wall, if you may. And then you, yeah. you know, it has context. I guess it has, um, uh, it has a GPS module inside. I'm sure it has some kind of, um, uh, Wi-Fi module as well as some, some, something that lets it communicate uh, with a cell tower as well. So that way you yeah, have, yeah, like you, have, it, you can put it up, link it up to your, um, to your, and correct me if I'm wrong, the, the founders the founders are yeah. ex-Apple? Yeah, they are. they are. Okay, okay. You're saying you don't need satellite network? No, no, no. You do need a satellite network. Oh, like okay. you, need, you need an internet connection. And I mean, the most reliable way to get an internet connection is to get a satellite network. So I think it has like a SIM card. It's essentially like a screenless phone, mm-hmm. right? Um, like when I saw it, I said, okay, yeah, this thing is interesting, right? It's unique. It's interesting um, as a concept, but as a commercially viable product, right? Like if you think, if you, if you walk down the street in a busy city, right? You have a sense that everyone has a smartphone. Now, everyone's smartphone is either in their hand, in their pockets, in their bag, in their purse, right? Yeah. Um, and they are not all like using it at the same time. Some people have like maybe earbuds and some people have a smartwatch on and the earbuds and smartwatch are, you know, complementary to the smartphone. So even if your smartphone is in your pocket, um, you know, something, you might maybe be listening to music, you know, or you might be um, checking maybe like directions on your wrist or whatever. But with this device, they seem to be positioning it as, oh, you would need a phone or, it's a new device category. And I'm like, it's one of two things. Is that I'm telling people that they can stop using smartphones as, as they currently exist, mm-hmm. or that this thing that you guys have built is a replacement for the smartphone as, as currently is, or you're telling people that they should use this alongside the smartphones they currently have. And I don't know if anybody wants to buy, well, I mean, an Apple Watch Ultra is what eight hundred dollars. So maybe if you tell people to buy a six hundred dollar device, complimentary device, maybe they will buy it. Um, but the proposition of you know you talking to it, it's doing some AI stuff, is like how much of that is unique enough to the device to make you want to use it instead of say using a smartphone or a smartwatch. And I one, think like smart. Go ahead. Yeah, you're saying. What I was gonna say was, I feel like I agree with everything you're saying, and and I feel like besides you know projecting text onto like your hand or a surface, one could argue that most of those things that thing does could be done by apps on a smartphone. Yeah, um, I mean, people who made that argument. So to be fair to them, people made the argument almost like when the smartphone came out. 
and go to a level of maturity, right? Um, every other thing that came out after, people made that argument, right? People said the iPad was just a big smartphone, but the iPad has evolved beyond that. People yeah. said the smartwatch was, was just your smartphone on your wrist, right? Yeah. But, you know, the, the um, smartwatch has evolved beyond that. Um, so they need to find, for the, for the iPad now, it's like, oh, it's this thing where you can draw, you can read magazines, mm-hmm. you can, you know, there's you can some watch, You can that binge on Netflix. Binge ahead. So, like, the use cases for the iPad, even though you can do a lot more, you can play games on it, you can do almost anything a smartphone can do, mm-hmm. the number of things people prefer to do on the iPad as opposed to their smartphone has, like, kind of gotten baked in. Um, so, whatever this thing does, like, whatever the range of capabilities it has, um, people are... I don't know whether it's going to reach enough market saturation for people to now like pick what they would like to use it for. But out of all the things they displayed, I still don't see it yet. Um, maybe they have something. Secondly, it's like the, a device that you clip on your shirt that is big and visible, although they claim that it's very light and whatnot. But like it's you know, from what I saw, it's big, it's visible, has a camera. Um, I, I don't want to walk around with something that has a camera. <laughs> like, you know, if, if someone lifts up their smartphone to record, right, or they're even trying to be sneaky about it, it's somewhat easy to detect. But something that is just like hanging on your shirt, and the only way you detect is if you notice some blinking lights, which is hard to miss, I mean, which is easy to miss. That, do, that just doesn't fill me with any comfort. Whatsoever. Yeah, so you would write right away Zuckerberg's uh, Ray-Ban glasses then? No, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, just got to check. Just gotta they, check. Look, they look good. Yeah. <laughs> they look good. They, they record well. Um, you know, they've basically gone down the whole trying to miniaturize this to look like your average pair of sunglasses. Mm-hmm. But I don't want people walking around to just film, even though at this point, it might be inevitable if they get the price points low enough. But uh, nah, no thank you, mm-hmm. not at all. Especially not by Facebook. All right, I guess we can wrap it there. So you guys heard this shit from that boy, especially not by Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this has been Backyard Conversations. We appreciate you listening in. You know where to find us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Please remember to like and subscribe. As always, we like those five-star reviews. Thank you very much. Keep them coming. All right, so that's it. Have a good one, everyone. Peace out. Bye.